0: We read scripture from Mark chapter fifteen. Mark fifteen. We read the chapter. We hear the inspired, infallible word of God. And straightway in the morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people, that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said unto them, What? Will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the King of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. And they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him. And bowing their knees, worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine, mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over, the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others, himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by, when they heard it, said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. And there were also men there were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joses and Salome, who also when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when the even was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Josie's beheld where he was laid. We read God's word that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We take our text from verse 21. And they compel one Simon a Cyrenian who passing by, coming out of the country the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Beloved our Lord Jesus Christ, God in his inscrutable wisdom includes in the narrative of Holy Scripture things that seem at first impression rather random. And tonight we look at a verse that contains such instruction. First there's this man who bore the cross of Jesus. Jesus. Evidently, it was important, and for that reason, then, it was placed here. And then the fact that this man had two sons named Rufus and Alexander. God pressed this Simon the Cyrenian into the role of carrying the cross of Jesus. Included it is because there is importance to it, and we look at that importance this evening. There are some unbelieving critics of the Bible who quickly find in their estimation what they believe is a contradiction here. Some of the gospel accounts refer to Jesus carrying the cross. Others note that Simon carried the cross. From the outset we note there's no contradiction to be found there. Jesus began to carry his own cross. But in the weakened state that he was, He came to the point shortly after going out of the gates of Jerusalem where he could no longer carry that cross. And the soldiers realized that rather than whipping him and trying to persuade him, they were not going to be able to continue with him carrying it. The effect of the terrible abuse that had been heaped upon Jesus was now evident. He could not carry his own cross. The soldiers refused to to carry it. But now they compel this one Simon, a Cyrenian. And we look at that, Simon bearing the cross, noting first of all that he was compelled by the soldiers. Secondly, the discipleship that's required here. And finally, the lessons then that we learn. Immediately after Pilate had issued the sentence, Jesus was led away to be crucified. There was no law that required delay, and we find no delay. Immediately, the Jews were eager to see, too, that the execution take place. While the Jewish form of capital punishment would have been stoning, it was the practice of the Romans to crucify. And their practice was to do so outside of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is led out of Jerusalem to the place of the Roman execution. Golgotha, the place of the skull. The writer to Hebrews, in Hebrews 13, verses 11 and 12, finds a fulfillment in this of the Old Testament law and prophecy. We read in Hebrews 13, verses 11 and 12, For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. There were several references to what took place during that great day of atonement. A sin offering was offered up by the priests, and the blood was sprinkled on the tabernacle and on the temple. But then the animals that were killed were taken outside of the camp when they were camping in the wilderness or once they were within the, te- the temple were taken outside of the gates of the city and then they would be sacrificed there to cover the sins of the people. And that's precisely now what is happening with regard to Jesus. The accursed death is being applied now to the Son of God and Jesus now is being brought outside of the city Where that sacrifice can take place, which will cover the sins of God's people. Whereas the sins of the people could never be covered by the blood of the animals, this was the sacrifice that would forever cover their sins and provide them the basis of the salvation of God's church. In fulfillment of the Old Testament law, Jesus is led outside of the city in order to accomplish this sacrifice. A procession of soldiers formed, and Jesus is given to carry that cross and to go out of the city. John records Jesus carrying the cross out of the city toward Golgotha. Now we need to understand by this time, Jesus had been subject to tremendous suffering. He had last slept on Wednesday evening, and now it's Friday morning. He had been, in the meantime, beat with whips. A crown of thorns had been placed upon his head. He had lost considerable blood. The flogging or the scourging that took place by the Romans was brutal. It involved repeating lashes of a device that was called a flagrum, which was a heavy leather whip that had beads of metal or bone or glass tied on the ends. And like a butcher would tenderize meat, that flag run would be thrust down the shoulders and the back, the upper thighs, the buttocks of the one that was to be crucified. And repeatedly it would do so, so that the form of torture would produce severe bodily damage, deep injuries, significant blood loss. Similar somewhat, historians have said, to that of a shotgun wound. And likewise, likely, Jesus had not been able to eat, not been able to drink, as he was being shuttled back and forth among his accusers and before the authorities. And so Jesus' body now is in a very weakened condition. He's in a situation where he could have used urgent medical care for his wounds. Instead, he's given this cross and he's expected now to carry it to Golgotha. The criminal would have to carry his cross during the procession and the idea there was further humiliation. To humiliate him. They would deliberately lead him down paths that were very busy, down busy streets so that everyone would be able to see this one now carrying his cross toward the place where he would be crucified. And so severely weakened, Jesus now begins that slow journey as documented by Matthew, by Mark, and by John, carrying his own cross. It's hard to know how much it weighed. It's estimated that it was about 15 feet by 8 feet, composed of solid wood, weighing anywhere from 100 to 300 pounds. Jesus carried the cross as long as he was able to. And there came a point at which he could do no more. It's then that Simon a Cyrenian comes by and is, according to our text, compelled to bear that cross of Jesus. The word compelled is very significant here. The implication is that he wasn't willing. This wasn't something that he wanted to do and he had to be forced into it by the soldiers. Now, to bear the cross is not the same as dying on the cross. Someone else could carry that cross for now, but no one else could take his place on that cross. The burden that Simon is able to take from Jesus is only temporary, but there's still yet that burden, the bearing of the wrath of God, that no man could assist him with. And so now the Roman soldiers, as Jesus is no longer able to carry that cross, begin to look around for someone to carry it on his behalf. They're too proud to do so. None of them are going to carry a cross to Golgotha. And so they look around and they see this one, Simon. To carry that cross would be a shameful thing. Now, what about the Jews that were in the procession? What about those who had come with, who were following and watching and were hanging out back a ways, seeing what was going to happen to Jesus? Wouldn't there be any that would be willing to help their Lord in this time of need? One asks, where were the disciples? Wouldn't they be running to His assistance, eager to assist Him? But the disciples had fled. Where's Peter? Peter had been willing to lay down his life for Jesus. When Jesus had allowed himself to be arrested, you remember the disciples then had abandoned him. They were not so much afraid as disgusted with the fact that Jesus had allowed himself to be arrested. Why had Jesus not resisted arrest? That's what they had expected of him. Why was he allowing these wicked rulers and enemies to take him like this? But now, when Jesus is in need of assistance, where are they? There's no one, no Jew, no one who's willing to assist him at this point. They fled. Simon comes by and the soldiers compel him. It would have been about 8.30 in the morning. We don't know what gave occasion for Simon to come past possible that he was a Cyrenian who had relocated to Jerusalem and was living in Jerusalem, had gone out in the morning for a time and was now coming back. Perhaps he had stayed in one of the neighboring towns and was not from Jerusalem and now was coming into Jerusalem in order to keep the Passover feast. He now comes by at the wrong place at the wrong time. He had been born in Cyrene, which was a city in northern Africa, which is now Libya, west of Egypt. The name Simon is a Jewish name. We know from other sources that there was a large community of Jews in the land of Cyrene. And again, either he had moved into Jerusalem, or he made a trip now to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. Stephen, according to Acts 7, disputed with Jews who dwelt in the synagogue, who were from Cyrene. So it's evident that there were those living in Jerusalem with whom Stephen had engaged that did dwell in that area. The necessity of his being compelled implies that he may not have been a follower either at this point of Jesus. If he had been a follower of Jesus and he recognized who Jesus was, again, one would think, help out the man. Come to his rescue. Assist him for a moment. But the Roman soldiers must compel him. And the implication is to command him, to demand of him. Implying that he was not willing. He had no sympathy. He was not going to take up this cross. He was not going to carry it. There's all kinds of reasons why a Jew perhaps would have refused. Knowing that one who is being crucified is accursed, and knowing that that one had touched the cross would make then him unclean. And now with the Passover, the very good reality would be then that having touched that cross now, he would not be allowed to partake of the rest of the Passover feast. He would be considered defiled in his activities. Also, as the one now that would carry that cross, he would be mocked. He would subject himself to ridicule. Again, from the word compel, we find Simon not willing, refusing. But perhaps that made the soldiers all the more adamant. Even added to a degree to their pleasure, perhaps. They won't back down. And by force, they likely took hold of him, required it of him, even by sword point. That's the emphasis... That comes out in the word that Luke uses. Luke uses the language of even arresting him. That's how forceful they had to become in order to make, to compel him to do this. The word that's used, compel here in Mark is a word that's used when in war more soldiers were necessary. Those soldiers then were compelled to join the war. No was not an answer that was received. They were required required. And they were pressed into that service, even against their will. The cross is taken, it's placed on Simon's shoulders, and he now bears that cross the rest of the way to Golgotha. Now, beloved, we need to see, first of all, how this had to have added to the suffering of our Lord. Again, none are willing to help him, none are willing to serve him. Just a few days previous, hordes of people had gathered to welcome Him into Jerusalem. They were throwing down their jackets. They were throwing down palm branches. They were eager to do what was necessary to welcome Him into the city. It seemed like they were willing to give their lives even for Him. That was then. Now, as Jesus exits Jerusalem, clearly to be Crucified, there are no willing servants. So long as he had healed the sick, so long as he had fed the multitudes, he was popular. But the cross, no one wanted anything to do with the cross. Jesus suffers alone. Simon even has to be compelled. But Jesus doesn't abandon his mission. He presses forward. He will go to the cross. He cannot carry that cross, but he's willing to die on it for the sake of his father's good pleasure and the salvation of his church. And so Simon now carries that cross with Jesus in front of him until they reach Golgotha. Once they reach Golgotha, Simon's job now is finished and now Jesus' task continues. His hands and feet are pierced with long nails. The cross is hoisted up and placed in the hole in the ground. Jesus now must suffer there. Now, beloved, this idea of bearing the cross brings to our minds the idea of discipleship. We remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 24. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Does anyone want to come after Jesus? Does any want to be a disciple of Jesus? Let him take up his cross. And we know what that means. To take up one's cross is to suffer on his behalf. It's to suffer the mockery, the ridicule, It's to suffer the opposition that Jesus faced that resulted in His death. To take up one's cross is to follow Jesus with that cross. It means to follow in His example. To learn what it is what He teaches. And make that your own teaching. To live what He confessed and to walk according to it. To look how He lived in the midst of a sinful world. And to live as he lived. To follow his teaching. To do as he did. And not do the things that he refused to do. Jesus said, if you are willing to be my disciple, you must take up my cross. Now we have a beautiful picture of this discipleship in Simon. Simon did not have his own cross. He had Jesus' cross that he was carrying. He didn't carry it willingly. He was compelled to have to do so. But yet we have here a picture of discipleship. For a time, the cross of Jesus became that also of Simon, as he shared in the shame and the humiliation of that moment. And that's a graphic picture of discipleship. Now there's evidences in scripture that what was pictured physically here with regard to Simon likely became a spiritual reality in his life. There's evidence that suggests that this Simon later became a true disciple of Jesus. Whether that took place later in the same day, whether it took place sometime later is not certain. But that comes out from the names that are given here. Rufus and Alexander. Rufus, somewhat a unique name. And we ask, why are these names given? Why was Mark inspired to write these words? The first writers of the gospel narratives must have known these men. So that by the time Mark now is writing this, these men must have been known to him, More than one of the apostles make reference to this name, Rufus. In the book of Romans, we read of the Apostle Paul speaking of and greeting a man, Rufus, who was part of the church at Rome. Salute, Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And his mother and mine. More than one ancient church father testifies that this gospel of Mark was first brought to Rome. Rome was the first destination for this epistle. We know from the book of Romans, again, that the church at Rome included a man whose name was Rufus. And the fact that Mark makes this reference indicates and suggests that they are one and the same. That knowing that his epistle is going to go to Rome, and knowing that this one now has relocated to Rome, makes a special note of who this Simon was in connection with those men. So that somewhere along the lines, this family was brought into the fold of disciples. Likely they had relocated to Rome due to persecution, as many had during those days. So that this Simon, not merely physically, but spiritually likely, also was a disciple. One who took up the cross of Jesus Christ. One who came to embrace what Christ had done and what Christ had done for him. And if there was that change, we know how it would have come. God had to, by His grace, work that wonder of grace in the heart of this man. In the hour of greatest physical weakness, God continues His might by performing wonders. He opens the closed, the unwilling. The Roman soldiers had a lot of power. And Simon knew that power. He knew that... He could not resist what they were requiring of him. But it's only Jesus who could turn him into a willing bearer of his cross. What brought about this potential and possible wonder? The power of the word of God. And we see in this context even that wonder with regard to the centurion. Verse 39, when the centurion which stood over against him saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. The meeting that God ordained between these two likely was used by God as the occasion by which Simon would be brought into contact with Jesus in a very intimate manner. And again, while we don't know all the particulars, the important question that we face is, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? How am I living as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Who knows the wonder of His sacrifice for me? Who knows the wonder of what He did there on Calvary for me? And who by faith lays hold upon that wonder? Am I willingly bearing the cross of my Lord? Do I do so joyfully? Or to my shame, must I be compelled to have to do so? Beloved, by grace we confess the wonder of Calvary. Jehovah God gave His own Son in our place by which we have been redeemed, we have been delivered, by which we have been made disciples of Jesus Christ. And though we can't follow Him physically like the disciples did, in these days of old, we follow His teachings. We follow what it is that He taught. All of the Bible is the gospel of salvation. And as a faithful student of the Bible, we desire to know more about this great Savior. To know more about His teachings, His works, His wonders, in order that we might go where He goes. In order that we not go where He would not have us to go. So what about when the Bible teaches us things we don't want to hear? What about when it requires of us things that are contrary to our sinful natures? Do we take up that cross? Do we follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Do we do so looking to Him, confessing our dependence upon Him, willing to bear that cross that He requires of us? Maintaining His will. Teaching what He taught. Living as He lived. Realizing that to do so, we're going to be an offense to others. If we teach what Jesus taught in the community, in the workplace, in the home, on the playground, we're going to be mocked at times. We're going to be laughed at because what we live for is righteousness and holiness. And that doesn't always go over very well. If we teach what Jesus taught, We're going to turn our back on the lie. We're going to turn our back on heresy and the ways of sin. We're going to teach what is right, what is pleasing before God. And are you willing and ready to carry that cross, to take upon yourself the consequences of teaching and walking in accordance with God's will? To live a life that refuses to go along with the sins of the world. Willing to endure reproach, shame. Beloved, by God's grace, that's what God works in the hearts of His children. So that we live as His disciples, day by day, bearing His cross. Now again, that cross stands for the suffering that God's children are called to endure. And the life that they're called to live of self-denial and love for their Lord. That cross is the same in many respects for all of us. The same for all of God's children in some regards. In terms of devotion to Christ and devotion to His Word and the truth. Requiring of us that we have to live for the glory and honor of God. And that we deny self. But it also is very different as God lays different, unique burdens upon each of His children. And that bearing of the cross begins every morning when our alarm clock goes off. Our flesh says, I want to sleep longer. God beckons us to go to, to, go to school, to be busy in that labor that's required of us. To rise up in the morning requires that we went to bed on time. The night previous, sacrificing a late night out for the sake of what God has called me to do tomorrow. But recognizing that it has a different impact, the course of life that God ordains for each of us differs according to His sovereign providence. One deals with daily headaches, and another doesn't even know what a headache is. One deals with cancer. Another deals with other pain. Some experience trials that involve the consequences of sins which have been committed, which consequences they live with for the whole rest of their lives, bearing that cross to their grave. For others, it's sins which we battle against every single day. For others, it's a deep sorrow that affects us very personally, There are times when God needs to compel us to carry that cross. We're not as joyful, we're not as obedient as we ought to be. But we understand our bearing of that cross is a privilege, it's a joy. When we focus on self, we despair. But when we focus on Christ, what He did for us, the wonder of His sacrifice, we count it a privilege, moved by thankfulness. For the wonder of the salvation that is ours. Knowing that our bearing of that cross in no way is our earning anything before God. It's the thankful life by which we show our devotion to our Lord and Savior. Out of gratitude for what He's done for us. Jesus was led outside the city, outside the camp. To be crucified as the offering of sin for you and for me. He went outside the city and He offered Himself up as the Lamb of God, providing the only covering of sin that could ever be made, bearing the wrath of our Father for all of our sins so that He could cover us with His righteousness. And beloved, you and I need that covering. We need that righteousness of Jesus Christ. Apart from it, there's only death. There's only hell. There's only everlasting destruction. But with that covering, there's life. There's joy. With that covering, there's joyful service. As we, as disciples of our Lord, take up that cross and follow Him. That discipleship is a life of thankfulness, lived by faith. We walk away from the wonder of our salvation with joy and gratitude as thankful, obedient children desiring to praise their Heavenly Father. And as we take up that cross, we say, we're going to embrace Christ with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're going to follow His teachings. We desire to live as He lived in the power of that cross. We desire to set our hearts upon the Father's will as He did. Pursuing the will of his Father and willing then to sacrifice of himself, even his own life for the sake of his Father. I will do, no matter who opposes me, no matter what stands in my way. My conviction is to serve my Lord. And I will do it with joy and with thankfulness, despite the current situation, despite the current circumstances. Beloved, that's faith. Faith is the power by which we know the wonder of Christ's sacrifice. And by that power, we go forward knowing the righteousness that is ours in Him and the honor, the joy that is ours as those who belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Bearing that cross with joy and delight Beloved, what things are learned here? A number of things. First of all, we see shining brightly in this history God's providence. God led the footsteps of this man to come into contact with Jesus. God led Simon. God led the morning activities, his actions, whatever they were, in order that this wonder would take place. And God ordained that he wouldn't be away from the city for another half hour or for another hour. God in His wonderful providence made it so that this had to take place precisely as it did. Now again, at the time, do you think Simon was thinking that? Again, likely he was thinking he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. But God in His inscrutable wisdom ordained this would be the right place for Him, for the glory of God. Beloved, what a marvelous God we have as we consider God's providence in our own lives. Ordering, directing, ordaining everything according to His perfect plan for our good and for our salvation. So often we don't understand the way that God ordains for us. We don't see it as good. We don't see it as necessary. But God works again the faith by which we lay hold on that truth. Beloved, we see secondly the wonder of God's grace here. We see that grace especially at the cross. Simon had to carry the cross, but it was not the cross on which he would hang. Did he deserve the cross? Did he deserve the curse of the cross? Yeah, he deserved it, as we all do. Not just the earthly curse, but the eternal curse, as every sinner deserves everlasting damnation in hell. He was born in sin, had a sinful heart, was a sinner. Unwilling to serve his Lord when confronted. If this was his Christ, he should have fallen down. He should have worshipped him, been willing to do whatever was required of him. But he didn't. Such sinners deserve to perish. But we see the grace, the wondrous mercy of Jehovah God. He felt the weight of that wooden cross But He never had to bear the horror of the curse of sin. And so it is, beloved, with you and with me, we bear the cross. There are struggles, sacrifices required as we walk down life's pathway. But never will we ever bear the burden of the wrath of God against sin. Jesus Christ, who never deserved to be nailed to a cross, who kept the will of God perfectly, who loved His fellow men perfectly, allowed His hands and His feet to be nailed to that cross. He took your and my place. This is my cross, He says. I will take that cross. I will experience God-forsakenness in your place. Whereas you should have suffered everlastingly, I have taken upon myself that punishment as the substitute for sinners. And beloved, you and I see our need for that cross as we examine ourselves with a view to coming to the Lord's Supper Sunday. We know our sin. We know that our sin deserves of us the curse of God. We know that that sin Deserves of us hell. And yet Jesus, he took it. He bore it. He paid for it. And then God made Simon willing in the day of his trouble. And God continues to do that today for his children. What did Simon see and what did he hear at Golgotha? We don't know. But beloved, what do you see? What do I see when we're brought to Golgotha? We hear Jesus pray, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we believe, He's praying that for me. We hear Jesus say, it is finished. And we believe, that declaration is with regard to my salvation. And we experience the marvelous, wondrous love of God, by which God sent His Son to die in my place, so that I can live. And we go away in awe. We go away standing before the wonder of His marvelous free grace. Finally, beloved, the Christian life is that which also provides us a lesson here. The Christian life is a life of cross-bearing. It's true of every Christian. In Luke 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If any man, He didn't limit it just to some, every last one of his children will bear that cross and it's a matter of daily continually not just one day simon bore that cross one day but after conversion bore it daily it's painful it's heavy as we stand before that cross at times we don't think we can carry it we don't know how we can go forward There's sometimes we say, it's more than I can bear. And sometimes we struggle. We wonder, why does that cross have to be so heavy? But beloved, God promises the grace to bear it. We look to Him. We cry out to Him, assured that He will hear and that He will strengthen us in our pilgrimage. And crying out to God, we know communion with God and how precious that communion is when we know and confess our need, crying out to Him, knowing that He's with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's the one strengthening us. He's the one ordaining even the nature and the weight of that cross. But also with His everlasting arms, giving us the grace to bear it as we walk down that life that He has ordained. Beloved, where are the cross bearers? On the way to Golgotha there was Simon, literally bearing that cross, giving us a picture of discipleship. God gave him a name in the Bible, along with his children's names, which Mark here writes out. What a wonder of grace that God is pleased to gather his church in our generations. And beloved, today we go away from Golgotha with thankfulness, counting it a privilege, daily to bear that cross. And may God grant us the grace to experience the joys that are ours as a result. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, what wondrous grace and mercy thou hast showered upon us. Grant unto us the grace too by which we might continue to press forth in thy service, counting it a privilege to know Christ as our Lord, and to identify ourselves as His disciples, counting it a joy to take up the cross sovereignly ordained for us, knowing that that cross is no longer punishment. It's no longer payment. But that cross is the expression of Thy love as Thou dost prepare us for the glory that awaits. And grant that with Joy, we might look to Thee, knowing Thy grace as sufficient, and knowing the strength that is ours to go forward as those who confess. We've been washed, we've been cleansed, we've been declared righteous in Jesus Christ. And with delight, we serve Thee, our living and exalted Savior. Amen.